0: Father, the scripture, let me ask you to please, to please pray with me. Father in heaven, we do pray that your blessing in the deepest and richest sense of that word would be upon us. Even as we listen to this word, we pray that this word would have its perfect work in us, that it would bring us encouragement and good hope. And Father, then that through this word, you would encourage strengthening us strengthen us establish us in this truth so that we can live a life uh, that is pleasing to you this we pray in Jesus name amen turn please to second thessalonians and chapter 2 please second thessalonians chapter 2 i want to read verses uh, 13 through 17 that'll take us to the end of this chapter second thessalonians and chapter 2 please This is the word of God. Listen. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold fast and hold to the traditions. That you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now, Paul, you might remember last time was dealing with the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus there were those in Thessalonica in the church there who had thought that a word had come from Paul that had said that the day of the Lord had come that the return of Jesus had already happened we don't know exactly uh, what that word was or why they would have believed it precisely But uh, they were being persecuted. Maybe that they thought that that this was it. This was the day of the Lord and and that the Lord had come in the midst of that. Well, Paul wanted to, in that section of his letter, disabuse them of that false teaching. He wanted to correct it. Uh, And not only that, he would also need in the correcting of that false understanding, that false teaching to build something into them. Because you see, what alarmed Paul, what was concerned to Paul, was that this false teaching had so quickly shaken them. And so quickly, not not so much quickly in the sense that Paul hadn't been gone from them that long, but when this teaching uh, surfaced, they seemed to quickly embrace it And not even argue against it. They they simply received it. And that that troubled Paul that they would be so quickly deceived, so quickly shaken, if you will. They become unglued by it. Can this really be true? And it wasn't true. And so Paul was concerned they could be this quickly shaken and alarmed by this false teaching. Because you see, that kind of life being quickly shaken by a false teaching is the exact opposite of Christian maturity. Uh, he would teach, Paul would eventually, to the church in Ephesus, this Ephesians and chapter 4, verse 11. And he would teach this, and he says, He, that is, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, Paul's saying you need to reach a point where you're not tossed by every false teaching. And they were being tossed by this false teaching. They were being shaken by it. And so what Paul wants to do is to build in them in such a way that they won't be shaken by these things. That they'll be able to reason through it, think through it, pray through it, understand in such a way that it won't cause them to become unglued. Because what he's after here is for a church, a group of believers, to stand firm. That is, to be stable. To be able to handle the, the false teachings that may come, the difficulties and all of that, that would come Uh, our way you remember the story that jesus told about the wise man and the foolish man you grew up in the church or have children singing this song about that particular story that jesus told you will remember that uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock right so what happened well when the winds came the storms came he was stable he stood firm but the foolish man he built his house upon the sand what happened well when the winds came and all of that his house went splat well we are to be the wise man the stable one to build the house upon the rock the truth and so Paul wants them to stand firm and so to to do that he tells them that they're to stand firm and hold to the traditions that they had been taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter, that is to hold on, hang on to the word of God. Paul knew that he was writing to them, speaking to them, the very word of God. When he spoke the gospel to them, when he wrote to them, he was speaking, writing the very word of God. He says, "This is this is the traditions that you're to hold on to." Now we don't always like that word tradition, uh, and, and perhaps we all we shouldn't at all times. Not all tradition is good tradition, but what Paul's saying is that something has been handed down to me and I'm handing it down to you. That essentially is what a tradition is. And so Paul is saying what I'm teaching you was handed down to me by Moses and the prophets and Jesus and the apostles. He would say to the church in Corinth that what I deliver to you, I have received. And so he's saying, I'm handing it down to you, this tradition that comes from Moses and the prophets, Jesus, the apostles. So hang on to this, apostolic we could say, this tradition. Hold on to it, you see. And that will... That will build you up. That will, in fact, keep you. So remember that that Paul dealt with the false teaching. And he said to them that uh, the, the, the day of the Lord hasn't come. Because, A, you'll know the day of the Lord has come. Because when the day of the Lord comes, when Jesus returns, he'll destroy evil. He'll deal with it. And that hasn't happened yet. Not only that, two things have to happen before he comes. There might be other things, but these two he points out. There's going to be a rebellion, a falling away. And this man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. Now, Paul would say to them, the the mystery of lawlessness is already in the world. We can see it. People are falling away. People don't believe. People are rebelling against the kingdom of God, rebelling against the rule of God. And so, so we see it already. In fact, John would speak of this this whole time is the spirit of antichrist that which is against christ and he's saying that's here today john would say we've seen them there have been those who are with us who are no longer with us we know that we know therefore they really weren't of the lord but still in their denying of jesus that's the spirit of lawlessness the spirit of of antichrist and so it's in the world now it's it's lying to us all the time He says a day will come When this will escalate in such a way that it seems more global, global more than it is even today, even worse, if you will, than it is today. And there will be this man of lawlessness who be revealed. However, that will look, Paul says it hasn't happened yet. And so the day of the Lord really hasn't come. But but he's laying out for them the deep. Spiritual. Seriousness of the life. In which we live. Because he says to them. The one who's behind all of this. Is Satan himself. The serpent of Genesis 3. The tempted Eve, Adam. To in a sense at that point fall away. From the Lord to rebel against him. That's created this rebellion in human beings. Since then. This very one that tempted Jesus in the wilderness. This very one that would incite various evil men to put Jesus to death. This very one who's called the liar, the deceiver, the evil one, the adversary, the murderer. I mean, what else can we call him to, to, to give us that great sense of of evil and danger not only that he said to have power we see this power in Genesis 3 as he as he tempts and tricks deceives even Adam and, and 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 we we see his power throughout the scripture Jesus uh, calls him various names the Apostles call him various names the very prince of the power of the air it's he's called the ruler of this world and and so, so when, when when Paul lays this out for them, he lays it out in such a way as as to for them to be able to see the seriousness of this very one, you see. He comes he comes to lie and, 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 and these lies are believed by people. They can be believed by you and me. And so Paul comes now not only to, to kind of deal with the error of their 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 thinking their understanding concerning the coming of the lord but also to build them up so they won't fall prey to these things again and so the question is how does he how's he going to do that how's he going to build them up in such a way that they won't fall prey to these lies again to this false teaching again and 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 that's the question for us how are we going to be built up in such a way that we won't fall for the lies of the evil one again, Paul says, here's how you do that. You, you, you do that by holding on to the traditions that you were taught, by holding on to the Scripture, by holding on to the very, to the very Word of God uh, so that we will not, they would not, we will not be uh, shaken. You know, we have these thoughts. Does God really care for me? Does God really love me. Does God really care about my life? Does anybody really care about my life? Uh, I, I was talking to a group of students recently, and, and they were talking to me about, about their lives, about the fears that, 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 that confront them about. Are they going to be able to make a living? Or are they going to be lonely throughout the course of their life? Are they going to be able to marry, they have children? Are, 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 what's going to happen to their lives over the next number of decades? Does God really care about that? And those in with young children worry about their children. What's going to happen to my children? Are they going to believe? Is God really going to help me with that? Does he really care about that? And the evil one, you see, comes with various lies to us. And, and the bottom line is God doesn't really care. He really doesn't have a plan. He really isn't with you. He really doesn't love you. And so we worry those In midlife to older age, worry about disease, worry about Alzheimer's, worry about retirement, worry about what it will be like in these closing years. What will that be like? And then all of us thinking through, will I be able to maintain faith in the in the midst of all that? And so the question for them, for us, is what does Paul say to them? What's the tradition that he passes on to them at this moment in time? What has he received that he's delivering to them? What is he going to tell them that will enable them to persevere? Yes, he can correct the errors, but, but how is he going to build them up? How is he going to cause them to be stable? But Notice what he says, verse 13. He says, but we ought always to give thanks uh, to God for you, brothers, Beloved by the Lord because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he's telling them. And we'll unpack these just a little bit today. But but, but just to see it all kind of together. That, that he says they're loved by the Lord. He's declaring that to them. He says this is true. I'm giving thanks because I know this to be true. You are, they are, loved, the beloved of the Lord. And he says, and here's how you know that. Because God chose you as the first fruits early on in Thessalonica. Or you can even translate this from the beginning. God chose you to be saved. That's how we know. That's how Paul knew that God loved them chose you to be saved and he was the means by which he would save them through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth and he says to this he called you called you in such a way that you would believe to this he called you through our gospel this gospel that i gave you is the true gospel this gospel is the very one through which god has saved you and so that you may obtain not the wrath of God that's going to come against those who don't believe, but so that you'll obtain the very glory of Christ. So you see, he lays this out for them. He says, I want you to know this truth, first of all, that you're loved by God. There's a sense in which we sometimes ho-hum that. We go, well, doesn't God love everybody? And the answer is yes, in some sense, God does indeed love everyone. He causes the, the sun to shine, the rain to fall, and the just and the unjust. He even loves, in some sense, his enemies. He, he, he decrees that the gospel be declared generation after generation over the earth. And so all that's a manifestation of this love of God for everyone. But we know this, though. There is a certain special love of God for his own. We know that he loved Israel differently than he loved the other nations. And and so so here he is loving, and and Paul's speaking in that regard. He calls them the beloved of the Lord. You're loved of God. It's that kind of love that that he writes about, uh, that we affirmed. uh, Well, we'll get to that. But but in Ephesians 2, even, he writes of it. when he's speaking of our salvation, he says, But God, Ephesians two four, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Paul says, listen, here's this love I'm speaking about. It's this love with which he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses. It's this very love that worked in us in such a way That made us alive together with Christ. How do you know? How do you know? That you're loved by God. It's because he's made you alive. And all that with Christ. He's made us alive together with Christ. The passage we read for our profession of faith. It says this, blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we'd be holy and blameless before him. In love, you see, the love of God, in love, he predestined us. That would be our destiny for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, I know sometimes we want to translate that expression for adoption as sons, not every translation even has it in there. For adoption as sons, we want to make it as sons and daughters. And that's certainly true. But, but the son is, is significant here. Because son gives this sense of inheritance. And so you see, we're adopted, all of us, to be given this inheritance of, you can just simply put it, Salvation or inheritance of eternal life, and that 's the very love of God you see, and so Paul's saying to them you must you must embrace the fact that God really loves you in this way, and the evil one comes to tell us that he doesn't love us, you see and God says and through the scripture says no, he really doesn't and and, and notice this he puts Beloved by the Lord because God chose you. You see, Paul is saying, I, I know that God loves you because I know that he's chosen you to be his. And, and, and that's to give them comfort. Now, sometimes that expression that we've been chosen by God or God chooses, God elects, doesn't give us uh, a great confidence, but, but, but rather distresses us. Because we have all these questions. We have all these questions. Well, what about my responsibility in this? Oh, what about those God hasn't chosen, especially those ones whom I have loved? And so it distresses us to think of this. And we sort of know the answers. We sort of know the antidote to that kind of distress. First and foremost, we know that God hasn't chosen us because we're more righteous than anyone else. He hasn't chosen us uh, because... We're better than anybody else. That his choosing of us is is, is out of his sovereign love. So, So we know that. We know we haven't earned it in any particular way. In fact, he tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy in chapter 7, he hasn't chosen them because they're more impressive, more numerous than anybody else. That's not why. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9, he tells them he hasn't chosen them because they're more righteous than anybody else. But he chose them because it was his sovereign love. And that just sort of leaves us, kind of. And so we're left there with it. But Paul says, I want you to know this about you. At this moment, don't think of others. At this moment, I want you to know this about you. That I know that he's loved you because he's chosen you to be his. And the reason I know that he's chosen you to be his is because you believe. Notice in First Thessalonians in chapter one, verse four, he says to them this is if we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction or full effect. He says, I know this about you. Because first our gospel came to you, necessary to come to you. And when it came to you, it came in not just word. I mean, I just spoke it and that was that and I left. And you said, oh yeah, I remember what he said. It wasn't that. But this word came to you in power, with full effect. That is, it had its full effect. It worked in such a way in you that you were, and here's how he puts it in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, chose you as firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He says, he says, the purpose of this election, this choosing of you, was so that you would be saved. Now the great thing about that is, I realized that then my salvation is God's work, not mine. And so if it's his work, not mine, I can actually believe that it's true. If it's something that I did, I I would have a hard time believing that it was really true, that I was the one who in any way, shape, or form earned this reconciliation with God. I I just can't even imagine that to be true. But, but, But since God did it, that's the whole point of this election thing. Since God did it from beginning to end, that I can trust that it really is true. Because God can really do this kind of thing. God is able, you see, to do this kind of thing. And so, so so he says, I know you're loved because he chose you. Think about that, embrace that, enjoy that. This has been this I'm telling you this for your encouragement, for your strengthening, so you'll be able to stand firm in the midst of difficulties. Because when difficulties come, you can say, no, 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 I'm built on what God has done, not built on what I've done, so I can believe it, I can hold to it. Don't despise this. Embrace this. It's true. And so he says, You've been chosen for salvation, not for wrath, but for salvation, to be reconciled to God, to know him, to have his presence, to be named as him, as his, by him. And he says, this has come about because of the sanctification of the spirit and your belief in the truth. Now, that word, sanctification, it means the Holy Spirit has come to us first and set us apart. He set us apart. He says, you're mine. You belong to the Lord. And so, he then works in us to enable us to believe. Again, we've said this so many times. Have you ever wondered, I've wondered why I believe and others don't? People that are smarter than me, people that's, sometimes live way better lives than me, all of this. I wonder, why do I believe this and they don't? And the only explanation I have is that God must have done something to enable me to believe. And the doing of that is this sanctification by the Spirit setting me apart, working in me that I might believe. That's my only explanation. And so yet we have it here. By sanctification and belief in the truth. And this sanctification is not simply being set apart to believe, but being set apart to be made holy. And so God's at work in us to make us holy. God's at work in us to purify us. God's at work in us to pour his righteousness through us, to transform us. And so this happens by his spirit and our faith. We believe it and we trust him. We say, no, God, this is the way, this is what you've said. Therefore, I will live this way. And I'll depend upon your spirit to help me do it. And he says, he says listen, I've seen all of that in you, Paul says. You remember back in the first chapter of the first letter, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen it. We, we see the work of the spirit in you. So, so I know that he loves you. Because he's chosen you. And I know that he's chosen you because you believe. And through this faith, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And I see it being lived out in your life. And then he says, to this he called you. That effective, powerful call. Through our gospel, this gospel about Jesus, it's true. So that you may be saved. That is, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day is coming. When you'll see his glory. A day is coming when you'll be glorified. And all that is, he says, hold on to that in the midst of everything that's happening in your life. Don't believe the lies. Believe this truth. You see, there are times when we have trouble believing that God really does love us. Now, for some, it may very well be the way that you're wired. I I don't understand. I mean, I talk to people all the time. been talking to people for decades, living my own Christian life and all of that and and thinking all this through. Why is it that some struggle more than others with embracing the love of God, believing that God loves them? And and I don't have the answers to that, but some people seem to have more difficulty with that than others. So could it be the way that we wired personality-wise perhaps? There's all kinds of things that are affected by the way that we're wired, it seems. But some struggle, of course, because of the experiences of their life. Certain experiences have been translated to say, God doesn't love me really. It may have been the loss of someone we dearly love in our lives. And we think if God really loved me, that wouldn't have happened. Or it could have been a prayer that we've prayed, something deeply desired, something good that we deeply desired, and it never happened. And so sometimes it's because X happened that we think he doesn't love us or because Y didn't happen, therefore we think he doesn't love us. It could be because of something that happened to us directly. And we wonder if God really loved me, why would that have happened to me? And so we struggle with the love of God. And so he says, no, 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 Paul does. That's a lie. If you're a believer in Christ, realize this, that he loves you and that he's chosen you to be saved. Thus it's a done deal. And he's done that through the work of the Spirit who enabled you to believe and is now working in you to give evidence that you really do belong to the Lord. And it was to that end that he called you through this gospel. So know that you will obtain, receive, know the glory of Christ. but then he prays one of these sort of benedictory prayers at the end verse 16 now may the lord our our lord jesus christ himself and god our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work basically what paul prays is what he's just promised And, and that's Always the way that it is in Scripture. Really, I, I said almost always, but I want to say always the way that it is. That 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 we're always to pray that which God has promised. We're always to pray that which God has guaranteed. And you say, if God's already guaranteed it, why should we pray it? Well, because this it is this promise. Now, what we need to do is to pray that we really believe it. Again, we have. Trouble believing the truth. The evil one is lying to us all the time through various means and mechanisms, various people and circumstances, even in our own sinful inclinations. And so he says, No, no, no. Now pray that God will overcome every resistance that you have to believe. Often I pray before I read the scripture here. I do it maybe every day before I read the scripture. I don't know if it's every day, but it could well be. I pray that God would overcome my, our resistance to believing the truth. If there's anything in me that would resist this and he would take it away. I'm powerless against it. so I, I pray that he would take away my resistance to believing the truth. And that's what he's doing here. He's praying that he says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. You notice the juxtaposition of the Lord and and the Father. He's saying, who loved us? That is, Jesus has loved us. The Father has loved us. Jesus, of course, has loved us. Not simply as creator, but as redeemer. He's the Lord of our redemption. He's the Lord of our salvation. He loved us by coming. He loved us. By being the Christ, our prophet, the truth. Our priest, our intercessor. He loves us all the time, even still by interceding for us. The one who intercedes for us is the one who loves us. He's not just simply some objective defense attorney in heaven defending us. Because that's his job. He's defending us and helping us because he loves us. Meaning he wants the very best for us all the time. And so he's always defending us, living to intercede, the scripture says, for us. He's our always, all the time, go between to make sure that we're always living in reconciliation with God, always his. The Lord loves us. He's our prophet, he's our priest, and he's the king. He's always Ruling and reigning for the glory of his Father and for our good always. And we know that because he gave himself for us. So the love of the Son, the love of the Father, the very one who's planned this salvation, the one who's chosen us, this very one who sent his Son, And who gives us his spirit. He loves us. So he says now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And God our father who loved us. And gave us eternal comfort. And good hope through grace. This expression gave us eternal comfort. Or eternal encouragement. He gives us eternal encouragement. What does that mean? Well how does he encourage us? He encourages us by telling us he loves us. He encourages us by telling he's chosen us for salvation. He encourages us by telling us that he's working in us now through his spirit to sanctify us. He tells us that this call has come by this gospel, and a day will come when we will obtain the glory of Christ. He always is speaking that truth. He never changes the lyrics to that song, ever. It's eternal encouragement. He never stops saying he loves us. He never stops loving us. He never stops telling us that he's chosen us for a purpose, and that purpose is our salvation. And thus, he never stops in that Thus, our salvation is secure. He never stops giving us his spirit to sanctify us, enabling us to believe, and then working through our faith that we may walk with him. He never stops saying that, and he never stops doing that. It's eternal. It will go on forever. And it's good hope. And that encouragement, you see, gives us hope that at the day of the Lord, we won't be numbered among those who are given the strong delusion not to believe. And we're not going to be those ones judged, but rather we're going to be those ones received. Why? Because he loves us. He chose us for salvation. And he's given us the spirit to give us faith and to work through our faith to sanctify us. And we know that a day will come and we'll see the glory of Christ. And that will make us immeasurably happy. It's good hope. And so what's his prayer? His prayer essentially is that we'd get it. His prayer basically is that we'd embrace that truth, that God would overcome all our resistance to it, all our resistance to the truth and all our embracing of the lies, that God would overcome all of that And comfort our hearts and establish them. Establish them so they won't get shaken. Establish them so they'll be in the rock, if you will. And they'll manifest themselves in every good work and word. We have a cross up there. I suspect you've noticed that. Too many centuries ago, we'd be in big trouble for having a cross up there. As Protestants, we bucked the system. We have a cross up there. The reason that people have been distressed over the years about having crosses in churches is because it's a symbol, and symbols can't perfectly convey the meaning of that which they symbolize. And so it has been thought through the years that we shouldn't have any symbols and who knows who's right about that. Word pictures can't always adequately explain all that we're trying to share by them as we speak of the cross and lay out as best we can its its meaning. But you see, We can never separate the love of God for us from the cross. So at least when we look at the cross, oh, we talked a few weeks ago about seeing the justice of God. But when we look at a cross, we should never miss seeing the love of God. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it and said, this is my body given for you. I think he could have said, this is the love of God. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Could he not have said, this is the love of God. He loves us. We know he loves us. Because the purpose of his choosing us was for salvation. He did that through the sanctifying work of the spirit to give us faith so that by faith we may trust and live in such a way that shows that we belong to him. And it was this gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave himself for sinners like you and me. It was that gospel through which we were called so that we would be able to obtain the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for all of us, that we would believe that. This word of eternal encouragement that brings us good hope, I pray, that we would be strengthened up by it, that it would be established in such a way in us, so much so, That we would be able to see the effects of it in our lives. That the good work Jesus has done and the good word that you continue to speak to us would work in us in such a way that we would do that which is good and we would speak that which is good. So Father, now I pray that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way. That we would understand the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ as the great expression of the love of God. And that we would believe. And that we who believe would know that we are loved. Loved by you, Father. Loved by you, Jesus. Loved by the Holy Spirit loved by God. And that that would be the very anchor of our souls. Take this bread, Father, this juice, set it apart in such a way we know that we're in the presence of this one who has loved us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know this table isn't our church's table. It's the church of our. It's the table of our Lord Jesus. And so he invites to it all those who understand themselves to be sinners in his sight without hope except in his sovereign mercy. All those who receive and depend upon him as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. And all those who desire then anchored in his great love. And to walk worthy of him. That's true for you. I invite you to come. Just come. There aren't that many. Just come. And as you come, take a piece of bread, and dip it in the cup, and remind yourself I'm loved by God. Please come.